Our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I thank you for enduring a somewhat cheeky sermon title this week. It is, as I'm sure many of you recognize, a nod to Robert Fulgham's classic, All I Really Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. The piece was originally published in 1988. It has sold over 8 million copies to date, and it includes things like this. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry if you hurt someone. And remember the Dick and Jane books and the very first word you learned, the biggest word of all, look. And then he writes, everything you need to know is in there somewhere. 25 years later, he wrote a follow-up essay. Looking back, he said that he stood by everything he said the first time around. But, he cautioned, it is not simple, those words. They are elemental. What we learn in kindergarten comes up again and again in our lives as long as we live. In a far, po- a far more complex polysyllabic form, to be sure. But life will examine us continually to see if we have understood and practiced what we were taught in the very beginning. Of course, it wasn't literally all you needed to know, certainly not. But if you didn't get the basic stuff to begin with, you and society will pay a heavy price. 
If you did learn and practice it, it becomes the foundation of everything else that follows. And so I wonder if the story of the wise men, the story of the Magi, might work the same for you and I today. The fact of the matter is, we have to think about what we can learn from the wise men, because we learn precious little about them. (coughs) We assume there are three of them. The nativity scene from our Christmas Eve family service certainly had three. Poets as illustrious as William Butler Yeats and William Carlos Williams have written about them, and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, he went as far as to name them, Melchior, Gaspar, and Balthazar. James Taylor has written a folky song about them, and the three travel through the covers of countless greeting cards all all season long. That's all in our imagination, however. Matthew never tells us how many there are. He tells us they carry three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But all he has to say about the hands that carry them are that they are wise men from the east. Presumably, there could have been two, with some carrying a double load, or there could have been four, with someone carrying extra provisions. We also assume they are kings, or at least we sing of that assumption. But it's much more likely they were astrologers or astronomers. The gospel only says they are men who study the stars. And finally, we assume that they show up approximately five minutes after Jesus is born, since it certainly happens that way in every Christmas pageant I've ever seen. But Matthew only says in the time of King Herod after Jesus was born. Some who have studied this text extensively suggest that Jesus may well have been a toddler, around two or three years old, by the time the wise men arrive. So much has been made of this story about which we actually know so little. If I understand it, if I understand what Matthew is doing here, he is less interested in the facts of the story because he is tremendously interested in our faith. And this story, which comes to us at the start of every new calendar year when fresh beginnings seem to be just within our grasp, This story has much to offer us in terms of how we live our lives. The wise men, they offered gifts to the newborn king. And perhaps if we let them, the wise men can offer us the gift of remembering what discipleship looks like. Of course, it isn't literally all we really need to know. But it is the foundation of everything that follows. So first, pay attention. The wise men, it is their job to watch the stars, to observe what is happening in the heavens. And this star 
Their star, the star about which we sing, twice it is referred to as the star they had seen at its rising. It is not called the star they finally noticed once they stopped being distracted, or the star that crashed down out of the sky and landed right in front of their feet. It's the star they had seen at its rising. The star in this story is a bright and shiny manifestation of God's presence and guidance. That star would have been there whether the wise men noticed it or not. Those who study stars these days, they say, if you study the sky and the stars in the sky each and every night, the patterns become entirely predictable. That's why we can set our course by the stars. Stars are reliable and reasonable. So if something changes, if you are paying attention, it is immediately apparent Just think of all the attention the star Betelgeuse has gotten in the past few weeks. Betelgeuse is part of the constellation Orion's Belt. It is usually one of the brightest stars in the entire sky, but it has dimmed noticeably. Perhaps some say it is headed toward explosion and demise. Now, everything I have heard about this led me to believe that this event was happening fairly imminently. But it turns out that if this happens, it will be sometime in the next 100,000 years. I do not think any of us will see it happen. But imagine if we paid attention to one another like that. Imagine if we noticed when any one of us first started to dim, even in the slightest. Imagine if we noticed when our planet, our ecosystem, our home first started to dim, even the smallest bit. When stars change, those who are paying attention, they notice right away. We're talking today about a star that might have 100,000 years of life left in it, and astronomers are already considering the impact and the result. So is it that crazy to wonder what might happen if we paid such careful attention to the degree of light that dwells in everyone and everything around us? Second, follow the light. This one sounds obvious, I know. Everyone understands that the wise men followed the light. So just a brief word here. It takes tremendous courage to follow when you don't know where you are going. And I cannot count the number of times someone has said to me, I don't know what to do. It is almost, not quite, but it is almost as high as the number of times I have thought to myself, I don't know what to do. Uncertainty can make it hard to follow the light no matter how bright it is. The very best wisdom I've been given in moments such as this is take the next step. 
Just do the next right thing. You don't have to chart the entire course or know how to overcome every potential obstacle or defeat every potential foe or even, at the beginning, have the skill to climb every mountain. Just take the next step. Just do the next right thing. We really don't know when the wise men left or how long it took them to get where they were going. All that the tradition records is that they got there. Eventually, in its own time, the light will get you exactly where you need to be. Third, praise God. This point could also be called remember your purpose because they are one and the same. Praising God is our purpose in life. Our purpose in life is praising God. The wise men are given the very first words spoken in Matthew's gospel and they use them to ask, where is the child who has been born king? We have come to pay him homage, to praise and worship him. What if that were the very first question on our lips or in our hearts each day? Where will I find Jesus? Because I was given breath and life this morning so that I might worship him today. An important note, though, homage as the Greek uses it. It means to praise and worship, to give respect, but... It's very careful to say that it's praise and worship and respect that is demonstrated by external action. In other words, praise and worship as the wise men teach it to us is not just about how we feel about Jesus in our hearts, but about how that feeling translates into how we treat the friends and neighbors on our street, the strangers and aliens in our land, the children and widows and orphans in our midst. Praising God, paying homage to the child born in the manger, it is about giving him your heart, absolutely. But make no mistake, once you have given your heart to God, once your heart beats in the very hand of God, it is for God and God's work in this world. So pay attention, follow the light, praise God, and give generously. When the wise men set out on their travels, even before they knew where they were going, or what it would be like, or even who exactly they would find, they knew what to bring with them. They filled their arms with gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh, yes, useless gifts for a baby, but perfect gifts for a king. It's important to the larger gospel story that they bring proper offerings like that, but I have to admit, part of me loves our more modern-day sensibilities. Barbara Brown Taylor, a preacher, she wonders when exactly they realized they had brought everything wrong that they should have brought milk or a blanket or a toy. 
But my favorite telling of this moment comes from a five-year-old in a church pageant, proudly dressed in a bathrobe and a paper crown, who kneels down at the manger and announces to the entire congregation, we are the three wise men, and we bring gifts of gold, common sense, and fur. (laughs) We could use a little of that. But the larger point, I think, is this. The wise men would have never shown up empty-handed. There was so much they didn't know, but they knew this much. When worshiping a king, you bring an offering. You bring an offering of whatever it is you have to offer. And it is a challenge to me and to all of us if we understand anything of who Jesus is, regardless of the circumstances surrounding him, we will never show up without the very best we have to give. And finally, choose the right road. The wise men traveled to Jesus one way, but then scripture tells us they returned to their own country by another way. What the right road is in one circumstance may not be the right road in another. Life is complex and we live in a constantly changing world. It is not a bad thing to realize the need to change course. It can actually be a tremendously faithful thing. It can mean choosing to travel down the road of peace rather than the road of violence. The road of building up rather than the road of breaking down. It can mean choosing life even when death is so readily available. Or choosing justice even when injustice is so much more convenient. We are asked to choose the way we travel each and every day. Pope Francis made the news a few days ago, not in the way that he normally does. On New Year's Eve in St. Peter's Square, he was greeting crowds and shaking hands when a woman reached out and grabbed his hand and pulled him toward her, and he slapped her twice. That is not the behavior we expect of the Pope. A Catholic journalist, his words to report it were, the Pope seems to have lost it. But the very next day, in the middle of his New Year's Day homily, he said, love makes us patient. So many times we lose our patience. Me too. And I apologize for yesterday's bad example. He didn't justify his actions. He didn't try to place part of the blame on anyone else. He returned home by another way. And it seems that in the days and weeks to come, our country and other countries will choose the roads we travel by as well. The road of war or the road of peace, the road of death or the road of dignity, the road of escalation or the road of reconciliation. 
It's more than that. I know, especially on a large global scale, nothing is ever quite that simple, and I don't mean to suggest that it is. But today, I hope and I pray that we will all remember, even if we travel in by one road, we can travel back by another. It is never too late to change course in our lives or in the life of the world. Doing exactly that is what led the wise men home again, and it is what saved the one who now saves all of us. So there you have it. Pay attention. Follow the light. Praise God, give generously, and choose the right road. None of it is simple, but it is elemental. Of course, it's not literally all we really need to know, certainly not. But it is the foundation of everything else that follows. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.